Thank you for joining me for the podcast. I want to talk about a child's responsibility to disciple her father. A child's responsibility to bring discipleship care to his or her parents. Of course, when they reach the right age for that, but there is a transition time in a child's life where they should be bringing care to their parents. I received this note from a lady. I'm not sure who she is, but this is what she said, and she was asking a question. She said, I'm in my 20s, and I found my dad viewing pornography on the computer. Honestly, it came as a shock to me and has been a difficult thing to work through. I have read some of the blogs on Covenant Eyes. The articles addressed for wives have helped me learn how to confront my dad in a godly manner as well as help me learn what perspective to have on the topic. But I believe there are unique differences in how I respond as a daughter than I would as a wife. I was wondering your thoughts on this. Well, I have a few. Thank you for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. This is Your Daily Drive, and I am glad that you are here. I want to work through that in this podcast because it is important. I'm not sure how well parents are discipling their children and bringing them up to the place to where the discipleship actually becomes reciprocal in their relationship from parent to child and child to parent. I'm not sure if children think this way that, oh, maybe I have a responsibility to bring care to my parents. Well, that is what I want to talk about. This is Your Daily Drive. It is a podcast. We're on five five different platforms, I believe. iTunes is one of them. And I would appeal to you, if you would be so kind, would you go on iTunes and write a review for us? Several folks have done that already. Doug said, this podcast is one of a kind. Rick has a wealth of wisdom and experience as a biblical counselor. His articles are very helpful, and this podcast will help many people to grow in the power of the gospel. His website is also fantastic, rickthomas.net. His ministry has changed my life. Thank you so much, Doug, for Writing that review, Julie said, if you do not have a New Year's resolution, or even if you do, listening to this podcast will change your life, your relationships, and maybe even your destiny. You will be blessed. F4 Phantom, thank you, Julie, for that review. F4 Phantom, not sure who that is. It's You sound exciting, adventurous. But this person said this podcast is down-to-earth advice from Scripture that is both beneficial and encouraging. Rick loves God and has been changed by him. And then grandmother at home. Thank you so much, Grandma. This is not my grandmother, by the way. But grandmother at home said, Wonderful opportunity for mothers to hear God's word, give answers to daily struggles, and encourage you in your ministry to your children. God's Word is indeed a healing ointment for our soul. And then one more, Wishlish, that's L-I-S-H, not sure what that means, but it sounds creative, says, love this podcast. It helped me to get to the real problem of my heart. Food is just a symptom. Who knew? Thanks for great and practical advice. Must be talking about some health-related articles. There are other reviews here, but if you would, if you don't mind, would you go on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and write a review? It would be so helpful because 
the companies that where these podcasts go, like iTunes, when they see reviews, they want to send them out to more places. That's the way I understand it anyway. And that is the whole point. If you write a review, hopefully they they will send it to more people and more people will be affected. Thank you, Wish Lish, however you say that. F4 Phantom, Julie, Doug, and the rest of you who have written reviews, I may read those other ones later. There were several. I just wanted to let you know what other people were saying and then encourage you to do the same. If you want to read this podcast, all of my Your Daily Drive podcasts are articles, and so you can go on our website and read the actual article that I am giving to you in this podcast. This one, A Child's Call to Disciple Her Daddy. She called her dad in porn, and she's wanting to know how to respond to him. This is so important. I hope this helps you. The repercussions of apparent sin is, is always a problem for children, though how they respond to their parents will be different depending on the age of the child, of course. A five-year-old may receive the brunt of a dad's anger, or a 13-year-old may have to deal with the discouragement of her mom who is in a bad marriage. Those are two different demographics, a five-year-old, a 13-year-old dealing with the brunt of their parents' problems. When the child is young, they do not, do not have the maturity or the capacity to carry these burdens, to interpret them correctly, or to disciple their parents. And I would want you to hear that. I am not saying a five-year-old should disciple their parents. Now, there comes a time in each person's life, and it really de- in each child's life, and it really depends on the spiritual maturity of the child. Now, that will be different for each child. Some children can be profoundly spiritually mature as, as 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and they can bring care into their lives. And then other children, it may take them a little bit longer. But I would also say that even a five-year-old can bring discipleship care in a parent's life humbly, carefully, compassionately, just by asking some questions that draw out the heart of a mom or a dad. Dad, that seemed a little bit harsh. It would not be inappropriate if the child was mature enough to do that. I know my children at a young age have identified things in my life that I needed to needed correction on, and I have found that to be beneficial. But typically, young children will not be able to do what I am talking about in this uh, podcast. What I'm talking about in this podcast is more significant discipleship care. It could be when they become teens, they may be too into themselves or, or too angry to care about their parents. That too is an issue that will hinder the care that they could bring to their dad or their mom. Even if the child did care about her father's problems, There would be a level of fear and insecurity about accepting a mentoring role toward the parents. Most 20-year-old women and, and men do not perceive themselves as wisdom givers to their parents. When I talk to kids at this age, they it's not something that they talk about. It may cross their mind, but I'm sure that they are there are inhibitors that prohibit them from from making those types of, of transformative, redemptive advances toward their parents. But on the other hand, if a young person was married at 20, they would know they can disciple their spouses because they see each other as equals. 
they dated for a while. They discovered they had many things in common. Eventually, they were married, and they began sharing their lives together. And, and so they bring reciprocal, mutual discipleship to each other at 20. But a 20-year-old child might not think that way about her or his parents. The parent-child the parent relationship is different from the two people in love and newly married. The parent has always been the superior one in the relationship as well as the stronger and smarter one. Children come into the family dynamic dependent and needy, and their main providers are their parents. That's not how two people enter into a dating relationship. They come in as equals. And so there's not really a transition going from vulnerable and needy and not as smart and not as strong to transitioning to the point to where you are more of an equal in so many ways. Now, a good parenting model should include the parents inviting loving correction from their children. That's really how it should happen. Rather than expecting the children to initiate, the parents should invite them. Bible-centered parents are open about their sin and failures appropriately, depending on the age of the children and depending on what sin we're talking about. But they're also open to their need for redemptive care from their children. They should be. These parents are honest with Scripture by affirming his testimony. What is its testimony? We have sinned. And sanctification is progressive throughout our lives. If I am a sinner and my sanctification is uh, progressive, that means I have not been become entirely sanctified. I'm not perfect yet. I will continue to sin, and I am growing. I am maturing. And this need that I'm identifying here implies that they are not perfect and are in need of a community of care. And at some point, at some point, that care comes from their children when they are spiritually mature enough to provide that care. Of course, it's a two-way street. The parents have to be open to it. If the children have been discipled well, the parents have created a sanctification community within their home. Our children, Rick and Lucia, have been uh, a valuable means of grace to us as they have helped to disciple us regarding our sanctification. It just happened a few days ago as my one of my children, my 11-year-old, as a matter of fact, was bringing loving, corrective care into my life because of something that I did. And it was a wonderful thing. And I responded to her, and then we laughed about it later after it was all resolved and, and gracious, great, grateful for uh, her care. They're often invited into our lives that way, and we do ask for their input for how we speak to them and how we can serve them more effectively as parents, and they do appreciate that. Some of the things they have told us have been instrumental in our ongoing growth with the Lord, as I was illustrating a while ago. The people who know you best should be encouraged and motivated to help you grow closer to God. Wouldn't it be sad to have spent 18 years with someone, even if it were your son or daughter, and never accessed their perspective of you so you could mature in Christ? How sad would that be? You have a wonderful opportunity as a parent to grow them up into that privilege to care for you, adding another person on your care team. Matthew 10, 28 says this, Do not fear those 
who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. The soul is more important. The spiritual aspect of our lives is more important than the biological aspect of our lives. Yes, we should be concerned about losing our bodies, but we should be way more concerned about losing our souls. Jesus saw our spiritual needs and spiritual relationships as primary while placing physical accommodations secondary. Listen to Mark 3. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus saw the spiritual aspect as more important. While physical accommodations like blood, like relatives, well, that's secondary. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. Cultural expectations and traditional thinking should not subvert our biblical priorities. While Christ would never dishonor his mother or his brother, he does inform us of what is most important and how to think about these relationships. I think sometimes believers become caught up in convoluted uh, definitions of what honoring parents means. Some people perceive bringing corrective care to their parents as not being loving. Therefore, they say, that does not honor my, my father or my mother. And sometimes parents use that as a manipulative tool to keep their children from bringing corrective care. But this wrong assumption is far from the truth. There are times when the most loving thing a child could do for their parents is to correct them when they are going down a wayward path. Providing loving, corrective care is one of the stronger implications of the gospel. Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Father and the Son did some impossibly difficult things to help sinners. It was a loving thing to do, to do hard things. It is because the Father so loved the world that he brought corrective care into our lives. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, You know it, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Bringing corrective care when done biblically is an act of love. His desire to redeem a broken people was infinitely high. Without a doubt, it was the love of God that identified the sin in our lives, and the love of God provided a way of escaping the wrath to come. What greater way could a child model the gospel than by loving a parent enough to identify their sin while offering a redemptive plan to change? There comes a time in most adults, child adults, adults who have parents, children, adult children, I'm going to say this correctly, I hope, but there comes a time in most adult children's lives where they do see their role with their parents changing. At one point, the child is being cared for by the parent, but as the parent ages, the child becomes the primary caregiver. This progression should also be true for the spiritual side of things as well. But it should happen long before the parent becomes elderly and is in a nursing home. As soon as you come into the family of God, you're asked to begin providing biblical care for those in need. Paul gives us an idea of this in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. 
in a spirit of gentleness. When Paul tells us this in Galatians 6, he only makes one stipulation, that you have the Spirit. You who are spiritual, those who have, those who are spiritual have the Spirit. That is the only stipulation. He is calling all the spiritual people to help those caught in sin. There are no other rules for caring for others but to be spiritual. Nobody is truly spiritual until they have the Spirit working inside of them. Every child of God should be on the Savior's redemption team. Without discrimination regarding who receives their care. Paul is calling all Christians to become engaged with each other by cooperating with God in the restorative work of those caught in sin. He does not stipulate if the person trapped in sin is a believer or not. He only says it's our job to help put broken lives back together again. It does not matter who the person is or what your relationship is with the one caught in sin. If he is caught, if you have appropriate context and relationship, if you are spiritual, if you have been born again, you who are spiritual should see how you can go to the rescue. This is the gospel in action. Now, with all that as a preface, I I want to give you some practical steps in which this girl, which also applies to a son, that you can honor your dad, and it applies to your mom as well, how you can honor your mom. There are several things you'll have to do to prepare your mind for what is ahead of you. Now, in the context of this podcast, it is a 20-year-old lady who's asking about her dad, who's caught in porn. I want to give you a few sequential steps to think about as you prepare to care for your dad. And again, this is applicable to any dad in any situation, to any daughter or son. Now, provided that the dad is is willing to receive this kind of care and and the kid, the boy or the girl is mature enough to bring this kind of care. Here are a few things to think about in no particular order. The first one is affection. Be sure you have a love for your father. More than likely, there has been some bad things that have gone down in your life that can hinder you from having affection for your daddy. If he is in porn now, he has not been the best of fathers, obviously. There has been bad water under the bridge, which has hurt you. It is nearly impossible to authentically and efficiently help someone you don't have affection for in your heart. You must love the person. Now, you may have to work at this. You may have to spend time in your closet asking God to give you affection for this person, but you don't want to care for a person that you don't care for because they will feel that. This is one of the things we learn from Paul's approach to the Corinthians. He loved them and hoped only the best for them. I would commend to you 1 Corinthians 1, the first nine verses of the first book of Corinthians. Read it with with these things in mind. There were no no other people in the New Testament who acted worse to Paul than these folks. They were a bad bunch and even hostile toward the great apostle, but his affection for them, as laid out in the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, was extraordinary. This is what you're going to need for your dad. You may need to spend time in prayer asking the Father to give you biblical affection for your father. Point number one is affection. Number two is similarity. Be sure you do not see his sin as worse than your sin. He may be in porn, but you put Christ on Adam's tree. 
you should have a different perspective on what he did and you shouldn't have a different perspective on what he did and what you have done. You must not be tempted to compare yourself with whatever your dad has done, thinking you are a better person. Now, consequentially, his sin may be worse than you stole some lifesavers. You stole some chewing gum, let's say. Well, consequentially, porn is far worse than stealing some chewing gum. But either one of those would put Christ on the cross. And so you want to be careful that you don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are better than he is. If you do, you'll fall in the ditch of self-righteousness, which will negate the care you could offer your dad. People who compare themselves with other people are without understanding. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, we dare not to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Don't go there in your mind. You both are sinners in need of grace, and to think he is worse than you will motivate you to be condescending, arrogant, impatient, harsh, and maybe apathetic. If you become a fellow sinner, helping a fellow sinner, your approach to his problems will have an entirely different feel to it. Ask the Father to give you biblical pity for this man. Point number one is affection. You must have affection for him. Number two is similarity. At the core of your heart, you're really no different. And so ask, the God, ask God to give you pity for him. The second one is, or the third one rather, is fear of man. Be sure you do not need your dad's affirmation or acceptance. If you do, you may soft-pedal your counsel to him. You cannot need someone and correctly love them well. If you believe you need them, that you need their affirmation, their acceptance, their love, their approval, if you believe that is what you need, you'll always measure your words by how it might affect them loving you in return. You may desire his acceptance, but if this kind of thinking gets a stronghold in your mind, you will not be able to serve him the way he needs your help. The only opinion that should matter to you is the Lord's acceptance, not your dad's favor. And I know this can be a big deal for children as they grow older. They still want the acceptance of their dads, and their dads have just botched it up royally. And this can be controlling in the child's life. You are fully loved and accepted because of the works of Christ. I am assuming, assuming that you have been regenerated, that God has regenerated you. You are a Christian. And if so, you are fully loved and fully accepted. You do not have to perform according to your dad's expectations to be approved by him. That is idolatry. Looking for acceptance from someone else and finding your satisfaction and your self-worth and your completeness in that. Jesus, Jesus did not need people because he was acutely aware of his father's pleasure in him. This released him to be faithful to biblical counseling. You must likewise find this kind of release, and you will achieve it if you're fully resting in the transforming power of the gospel. You must have affection for your dad. You are similar to your dad. You cannot succumb to fear of man. Number four, humility. If you're applying what I've said thus far, you're operating from a position of humility. This is great news because God gives grace to the humble. 
And if you do have affection for your dad and see yourself as similar to him and you're not caving to fear of man, expect to be surprised by God because he gives grace to the humble. Approach your dad through the door of encouragement and gratitude, even if he may not have been the best dad in the world. Think Paul here. He was able to find a way to encourage the Corinthians. I'll take you back to the first book, the first nine verses of the first book of Corinthians. Read it. It's profound. More than likely, you are not the best child in the world. Well, let him know this. Share your failures, the areas where you could have done a better job as a child. Let him know how God has changed you. Now, I'm working under the assumption here that your dad is going to be mature in this kind of conversation, or he could turn all that on you and use it like a hammer and talk about how awful you were. Well, you know your dad, and you know you know if that would be appropriate to say or not. You may not be able to say that because of his immaturity. I don't know your dad. But after you share your failures, as well as how you've changed, you can begin sharing what you have observed in his life and how you would like to help him change. Ask the Father to give you the grace and courage to go where you have never gone before with your Father. Point number four is humility. Number five, the last one is faith. You may be asking at this point, what do I say? There is no satisfying answer to this question because God will not give you an answer for you to parrot back to your dad, and neither will I. That would be so unhelpful. The Father is asking you to walk by faith, not by sight. The Father cannot give you the words to say because if he did, you would be resting and trusting in those words he gave you rather than trusting in him alone. In Luke 12, we have this. And they, and when they began, I'm sorry, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious, Jesus is saying to his disciples, about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so rather than asking what you should say, the better question is to ask is not to ask what you should say, but will you trust him as he leads you down this restorative path with your father? Will you trust him? You have an incredible privilege to serve your dad by providing help for his addiction. And by the way, this is how I train folks in our mastermind program, that you do not prep what you're going to say until you talk to the person. This is the pneumatic life. Walk in the Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you want to say. He will, by the way. And so go and care for him. Walk humbly before the Lord while being courageous towards your Father who needs what you have to offer. Steward God's treasure in you by offering its redemptive and transformative power to your dad. You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and the title of this podcast is A Child's Call to Disciple Her Daddy. I want to finish with a call to action, a CTA. There are three things here that I want to share with you. Number one, a child's spiritual maturity is what determines their ability to care for their parents. My question to you is, do you believe it's time for you to take your care to the next level? Now, again, I can't answer that question for you because I don't know your spiritual maturity. Don't know if you're born again. And if you are born again, I do not know how mature you are in Christ. 
But I know that age is not the primary thing here. Age is a thing, but spiritual maturity is the main thing. And so a child's spiritual maturity is what determines their ability to care for their parents. Do you believe it's time for you to take care or to take your care of your parents to the next level? Number two, what hinders you from bringing restorative care to your parents? Think through some of the hindrances. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about that. That would be great. And then number three, and this is important also, perhaps they are not open to this kind of transition. The transition that I'm talking about is now my child is trying to disciple me. Well, it is highly possible if your dad is stuck in some addiction, as you have described here, he's probably not mature enough to receive your care. It really depends on how repentant he is, how broken he is about his sin, and that will determine if he would even receive your care. But perhaps he would. And so it's not only on you, your spiritual maturity, and and so forth and so on, but it's also on him. And it may be unwise to speak to him because he's such a knucklehead. And if he is not open for your care, what are a few passive ways you can care for him? Praying is an obvious one. It's a passive way to pray for him. You can do that regardless of what he says or thinks. Another way is you can model Christ before him, being kind, being humble, being confessional, being repentant being forgiving, serving, what are some ways that you can model Christ before him? And then I would like for you, I've named two, praying and modeling Christ. Maybe you can name some more. Again, the podcast is A Child's Call to Disciple Her Daddy. Thank you so much for listening to it. And if we can help you, please let us know. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.